This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome back to Out to Lunch, the podcast that takes fabulous people to an amazing restaurant where we chew the fat. My guest today grew up in Bakersfield in California and is a musician, songwriter and actor whose baritone voice propelled him to fame in the 2010s. His albums Liquid Spirit in 2014 and Take Me to the Alley in 2017 both won Grammys and he fills the big prestigious music venues from the Royal Abbott Hall to the Pyramid Stage at Glastonbury. His journey has been an interesting one and so today we talk about how he got to where he is now how his family inspired him, and why not all love songs are suitable for weddings. And hang tight, dear listeners, for a performance of his song Modern Day Apprentice uh, with me on piano just after halfway. It is the magnificent Gregory Porter. Didn't you once do a wedding and the only songs you knew were sad songs? Right. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I get on the microphone and what'll I do when you are far away? And I am blue. What do I do? I fight Are they all breakup songs? Wait a minute, my book doesn't work. <laughs> so for this episode of Out to Lunch, we've come to Scarf's Bar at the Rosewood Hotel, basically because it's got this lovely piano that I'm playing right now. Um, we needed a piano that I could perhaps play with Gregory Porter. Great food, which is coming from the Hoban dining rooms next door. Uh, we last were here for Charles Dance, but we thought it was worth returning for the chance of great food, a bit of piano, and Gregory Porter. I won't say let's get inside because we're already here. Enjoy. Gregory, welcome. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you see, I've done this officially. I've done it officially. <laughs> Yeah, glad to be here. Wow, you picked an amazing space. <laughs> so come and have a seat. Right. Gorgeousness. So, a bit of charcuterie to kick off okay. with and, and all of that. Um, I was going to ask you as an opener. All right. Uh, what is the secret to a good soup? Well, flavor is developed at the bottom of the pot. If you're doing a gumbo, if you're starting your soup, the base of the soup, with the bits of the meat from, from browning of a larger piece of meat, a deglaze in the pan, all of that. There, there, there's something deep about the, the start of the soup. My mother would, I just thought it was something incredible going on. 
But she's like, honey, it's just a few herbs and onions. And I was like, wow. It's a whole lot going on. So was, was this a big thing in your house? Because there were eight of you to be yeah. fed, and a bowl of, and a big pot of soup is a way to deal with that. Yes, yes. She was she was a master of the one pot, and she knew how to stretch. If she had obviously eight kids and three pieces of chicken, then yes, then you then you then you make that roux and you make that juice. You make something that's going to go over rice, whatever you can do to make it last. She was a master of it. Son. Thanks to Chuck Eadry. I am get into the salmon. Yeah, this is Andrea. S- Hi. Nice to meet you. Pleasure. So, shall we order? Here we are. Mmm. I will have the rare breed pork and pudding scotch egg. The white pudding scotch egg. Do you white know what you've ordered there, Gregory? I'm curious if you know what you've ordered. It's great, I have to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very traditional British dish, a scotch egg. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you, you notice I just saw, I, yeah, scotch eggs. You just saw the red breed pork, didn't you? I did. Yeah. I'm, 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 I... You'll be happy. You'll be happy, I promise you. No, but I swear I must have had a scotch egg before. Yeah, nothing to do with Scotland <laughs> at all. It's a, it's a Georgian word for a, uh, for a way of turning sausage meat round an egg. Mm. Nobody thinks it's to do with Scotland, but the word scotch is nothing. Anyway, there you go. Okay. I'm going to have the Cornish crab thermidor tart. I will have the grilled tranche of halibut. With hollandaise. And I'll have the roast pork belly with the chorizo stuffing and white bean stew. Gregory, what would you like for dessert if we order now? My favourite, sticky toffee pudding. Okay, and I will have the pavlova. Right. We have a wine list. Do you want? Do you like white or red? What's your thing? Maybe a light red. Maybe a Pinot Noir if I, I'm having the fish. But I would, no, maybe I would do a white with the, with the fish. Well, there's a Pinot Noir which you could have with the scotch egg and then a white with the fish. Chablis? I haven't had a Chablis before, so, I mean... It's nice and crisp. Yeah, and not in a long time, so let's have that. Brilliant, thank you. Thank you very much. During the whole lockdown thing, I was thinking about you, because obviously we met and spent about seven hours in each other's company at Cheltenham. Yeah. When we were doing various interviews. And we were talking about how much you are on the road, 300 days, dates a year at, at peak, which is an enormous amount, and said to me, you know, Almost an old-fashioned method of touring. Mm-hmm. Serious, on the road. And then the world closes down. Yeah. How- Very difficult. Very difficult in that um, new inspirations and different methods of, of being. We all had to do it, whether you were an artist or not. We, always, we all had to do something different. Couple that with new pain. Well, I mean, it hit you personally. It hit me personally. You lost your brother Lloyd to COVID. Yes, my brother, my brother dying early in the pandemic. He died on my mother's birthday, which was a, a great grief and pain for me. And my sister died a week later from 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 cancer. Sometimes I I, I felt I feel like I grieve through the music, and I had no way of expressing myself in that way. And so listening to to music became very important. But the yeah. dynamic of your normal life pre-COVID, yeah. and I assume now, because you're on tour now and you're, you're going to be touring the UK in 2022, you've got lots of great dates and we'll put a link yeah. in the info for this. At the in end. May. What did you do with the instrument? Did you, <laughs> did you go and sing on the street to entertain the neighbours? What did you do? Well, you know, not to, just to keep going back to, to my brother's death, no, but do. It, it caused the thought of legacy 
because I was thinking of his legacy, all of the people who came out and talked about his life. And so it caused me to do the same thing because I was certain I was next. He did everything a year before me, my brother did. He discovered Sam Cooke before I did and, and Louis Armstrong. I mean, everything. It should also be said he ran the restaurant that you you cooked in. That I cooked in. He ran the restaurant. And that kind of took you to New York, which meant that you ended up at Nick's Bar in Harlem, which is bringing the whole story together. So not just, I mean, you had eight siblings, and there are eight eight of you, and I'm sure they're all precious to you in many ways. But But he was... He yeah. was my guy. He was, a, he was, we were like twins in a way. We did everything together. He peed on me as a child and I peed on him. This is the closest. This is what brothers do. This is what brothers do. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's a funny story. This has nothing to do with anything, but about peeing on each other. But <laughs> we, we, we were at the summer camp together. Lloyd peed in the bed a little bit. You know, too late, right? For, I, I don't know what they say, underdeveloped kidneys or whatever. Whatever the reason was. He was on the top bunk and I was on the bottom bunk. Oh. So he, so he peed in the bed and said, Greg, let's switch bunks and you tell him that you did it. Because he was your older somehow, brother. he was my older brother. And somehow I was like, I knew I didn't really do it. So I was like, okay, well, I'll say I did it. So I jump up into the top bunk and, and, and I, you know, in his wetness and say, oh, I peed on myself. So this is what I told the camp counselor. So they, so they fixed the bed. The next day, Lloyd, sleeping at the bottom, <laughs> pees in my bed. So he's like, I need you to switch back and then tell him you peed at, in the bottom bunk. And I did it again. And this, but this was our relationship. When he needed me, I was there. And when I needed him, he, he was there. So I took the blame for him peeing twice in, in summer camp. <laughs> How long did it take you after Lloyd's death to uh, begin to accept that you weren't necessarily going to follow him down that path? Well, the reason why is because I had um, a pain in my chest and I was so certain that it was, it was a heart condition and I had just a, a constant anxiety. It was, just what it, was it a panic attack rather than... It was than- grief. And so, so you, you, we, we need to work on how to work that out. Not in a narcissistic way, but listening to my music and hearing my brother in the music. And running, I used to write songs and singing to him a cappella so he could say, yeah, man. He, so he could say, yeah, that's cool. I, I dig that. I like that turn of phrase. I like that. I just remember him doing those things and and in a way helping shape my music. So he's in the music as well. The experience of grief and all that emotion and the pandemic, do you also look at it and think, well, it's material. It's stuff that can be written about and it can be expressed in song. Yeah, without question, it does bring about emotion. But I go about that in an organic way. The, the death of my mother brought about such so many sweet and amazing memories and stories and memories of her sermons and teachings and ways. Because she was a preacher in church. Liquid Spirit, yeah. Take Me to the Alley. Sorry. But you know, I could go on and on about Don't Lose Your Steam, about the inspiration that comes from her. As it tells a part of the story, to those who don't know, Take Me to the Alley is specifically about the, the group of people that she tended to preach to and were around your church. Yeah. Is that right? The lonely ones, the hungry ones, the afflicted ones, the addicted ones. Those were the ones, the first people that I sang to, I'm honored to sing for the queen and for the royal family, uh, the opportunities that I've had. But 
The first people that I sang for was the people in the alley, the people on the street. She pulled the, the microphone and the PA system out onto the street. She's like, sing to them. I've always yeah. been curious, eight of you, were you the only one with the voice? Or were, were there any other voices? We had a little singing group, but, but yeah, I was... You weren't the Von Trapps of Bakersfield. <laughs> <laughs> but we did have a little, you know, me, myself, my, me, my brother Lloyd, and my sister Lawanda. We were like a little, you know, we had a few little songs that we would do. We would go around and sing with my what, mother. What my you mother. do? Um, we're feasting at his heavenly table, his banner over me. The blood that Jesus shed for me way back on Calvary. Bless that wonderful name of so gospel, Jesus. God. Absolutely. All, all gospel stuff. I just want to cut back one, one point with your brother. Yeah. It's a story that your brother used to play chess with Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. Where was that? Was that in New York or was that in... That was in New York at, 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 his, um, at his shop. Chad would come in every day uh, for coffee. And Chad and my, my brother would play chess. And I was a little bit jealous of that chess relationship because they were on a higher level than me and my brother would be, be bored playing with me. So do you accept that you weren't up to their standard? Absolutely. Gentle, here we are. Scotch and crab tart. Brilliant, thank it's you gorgeous. very much. It's gorgeous, Yeah, now this I've had before. You've had a Scotch egg I've before. had a Scotch egg before. <laughs> and you have to try some of my, my crab tart. Okay. Do you remember the point at which the voice was something that you thought might define you for your whole life? Because you actually, your, your scholarship to university was a, was a sports scholarship as a football player. Yeah. It's so far from what I knew. And I recall singing for the football players I remember, I remember specifically singing to two, I, th I think both of them are in the Hall of Fame. I think Darnay Scott is. I know Marshall Falk is. These but are serious American football players. Serious American football which players. Which the British listeners to this will never have heard of, but they were very important. They were, they were very important, very important in the history of the game. Yeah. I sang them a, a jazz song. And they were like, oh. What was it? It was um, Moody's Mood for Love. Mm -hmm. It was James Moody's. There I go, there I go, there I go, there I go. Pretty baby, you are the soul that snaps my control. It's really uh, a vocalese of I'm in the mood for love. For anybody who doesn't know, vocalese is when a lyric is put to mm -hmm. the melody of a famous solo on mm -hmm. a recording. You had a, a rotor cuff injury, mm -hmm. which took you out of the sporting scholarship you had. Yeah. And your late mother, who died far too young, mm -hmm. but she was the one, wasn't she, who said, well, now you can concentrate on your music. Did no. you agree with her or were you distressed by this idea? <laughs> it's a beautiful memory. And you talk, you talk about somebody <laughs> believing in you in spite of yourself. Mm-hmm. That's who she was. And it was it's so profoundly beautiful to me. These are her last breaths. We talked about everything. She said, Gregory, when you have a child, you know, she's like, Gregory, when you, when you go to buy a house, she's telling me everything that she, we hadn't talked about up, up until that point. And then we get on my, what, what I'll do with my life. She said, Gregory, here I am trying to tell her. I was like, mom, I'm, I'm gonna do this, don't, you know, don't worry. I, I'm going to 
finish the degree and I'm going to do this. This is where I'm going to get a job. Don't worry. You can go now. I'm you fine. Can, you can, you, that's exactly what I was doing. Yeah. And she said, wait a minute, boy. The best thing that you do is sing. Don't forget about your music. Sing, baby, sing. That's exactly what she said. Well, that makes everything you've done, every single bit of it, symbolic, doesn't it? That's been nearly 30 years, and it still, it still washes over me like it was recently. There's nobody like, like Mama. How many of your songs do you think you've written to express that? This is why my brothers and sisters feel like they own part of my wealth, you know? <laughs> They're like, oh, that's, that ain't nothing but mom. You know, take me to the alley. Take me to the afflicted ones, to the lonely ones, to the hungry ones that somehow lost their way. Let them hear me say, I am your friend. Rest in my garden, come and eat at my table. You will have a pardon. The generosity of my mother up until her final day trying to help somebody pay some rent so they didn't get kicked out of their house. This was the last act that she did before she stopped breathing. She pulled $600 out of her purse to help somebody pay their rent. We were trying to stop her from doing that. But her last gift before her last breath was giving. Now, how foolish would we have been to stop her from that? We tried. And she was like, nope, 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 nope. Give me my purse, give me my purse. How beautiful. The very last thing that you do is give. That's, what, that's why she just was so dope. She was so fantastic. And um, you're right, your question is how much of the songs. It's a lot of her. It's a lot of her, a lot of her inspiration, the spark. So there's some pain there that comes from my father's side. That's there too. But you've written one particular, yeah. that gone thing. Mm -hmm. It's brutal. <laughs> it's a brutal, brutal song. Uh, the, 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 I mean, the lyric eventually gets down to it. He told me one thing, he told me how to sing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a furious lyric, that one. It is, but at the same time, which is, which is the relationship with my father, I'm also thanking him for the very reason that anybody wants to record me with my voice. And my, you think it came from him? Well... That's what people tell you. This is what people tell me. <laughs> <laughs> this is what people tell me. There are times when you seem quite forgiving of him, even though being brutal, the story you tell is of a man who wasn't that interested and right. wasn't that around. Right, I mean, right. You literally had, finish your scotch egg, you had literally just a day or two in his company, didn't you? Over right. The years? A, a, a bit more than that, but never more than two weeks my, my entire life of, of seeing him. And they were always brief. End to end. Always brief. I mean, in, in, in total, yeah. Do you think the being able to ascribe the voice, the voice, it's your voice, it's you, mm -hmm. to him makes it easier then to deal with the relationship? Oh, it's, it's absolutely self-medication, man. And I'm fully aware of it. <laughs> that was a, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Here's a cat that didn't give me, left me nothing and gave me nothing. But come to find out, he had amazing charisma in the pulpit, a beautiful voice, a knack for dress. He charmed all the ladies. They would watch his show. He made art from his heart. He could make a tear flow. Right. Do you know if there were any other half-siblings knocking around? Yeah. As I well know, as the eight? Yeah, yeah, I, I know How did you think he fathered all, in all? 
Oh, you know, he was a clever guy. This is what he did. Are you done? Just... I'll have one more bite. All right. I listen, can... and they can come on with the... Uh... This was delicious, by the way. We know of four families. <laughs> <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> right, right, right. This is, I swear, the line he charmed all the ladies, right? Yep. The first boy in each family is named Sir Lloyd. And in America, you're not allowed to have sir in front of your name. They won't do it. Yeah, they're not big on aristocracy and knights. Right. <laughs> but, but, but this was during that period of when, you know, uh, Duke Ellington, Count Basie, uh, you know, th th they, were, they were writing in respect into the name. Sure. There are four Sir Lloyd Porters. My, my brother Lloyd... Was a Sir Lloyd. It was a Sir Lloyd. Was that on the birth certificate or was it... Or just the name that we all, you all knew him by? It's just the name that we all knew him by. Oh, hang on. I think main courses are approaching. Ooh, we. Here we are. The hell of it. Beautiful. With our Hollywood. Yeah. Some days. Our Portbelly, sir. <laughs> I like the way you lean forward to have a look. It, it has to be said, in your last supper, port belly was one thing. I think also sticky toffee pudding, which you have ordered, is, is another one. Yeah, my goodness. Thank you. Gorgeous. Thank you so much. And it, it comes with crackling, as it should. Gorgeous. I feel like I'm going to cut, before my, my cutlery has gone anywhere near me, I'm going to cut a big chunk of this off and send it over to your plate, OK? <laughs> this is the kind of eating I enjoy, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Right. I had an experience once with somebody who wanted to, um... Like, roleplay, uh -huh. like, um... Like with relative stuff. No. Yes. No. That's a and I hard couldn't. Pass. And I said, I said, um, they no. wanted. They first said, da like dad, daddy, you know, oh, and, and I said, um, well, that's not so bad. But um, so I suggested maybe like I said maybe the most I could do is uncle. <laughs> Okay, so that was just a snippet of an episode with actor and podcaster Justin Long. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and I'm telling you, you need to listen to the full episode on my podcast, Dinner's on Me. Over a meal at Pine and Crane in downtown LA, we get into his love story with Kate Bosworth, his career, and so much more. To listen, just search Dinner's on Me wherever you listen to podcasts. Would you like to walk this way? Walk this way! What did you say we were going to do? Modern oh, Day Apprentice. Modern Day Apprentice, okay. Okay? All right. I'm a modern day apprentice for your love. I'm a modern day apprentice for your love. If I have to work for free, it'll be all right with me. 
I'm a modern day apprentice for your love. If I have to work all night for your love. If I have to work all night for your love. If I have to work all night, girl, it'll be all right. I'm a modern day apprentice for your love And I wanna write a few new pages To the book of love, you see What I'll write on those pages Will help you work with me I'm a modern day apprentice for your love I'm a modern day apprentice for your love. I'm a modern day apprentice for your love. Right on. That was an honor. Yeah. Thank you pleasure. very, very much. Yeah. Jazz. Obviously, we know gospels there, mm. and we know the church sounds are there, mm. and we know your voice is there. But does yeah. jazz come into your world in any particular way, or do you find it along the way? Well, I, I was trying to figure out what what it was Nat King Cole was singing. He he could just do it all. That's that's just it's, that's all. His voice though was an accident, as in the discovery of his voice was when the singer didn't turn up and he had to sit in. Right. It sounds almost extraordinary, doesn't it? Right. That it would be possible in another history right. for us never to have heard Nat King Cole sing. Right. And to not see the genius. Yeah. Even himself, the idea that he would be playing all that and not wanting to sing with it. I know. It just seems insane. He sang so many message songs and if you just look at it on a piece of paper pick yourself up dust yourself off start all over again smile though your heart is aching smile even though it's breaking pretend you're happy when you're blue it isn't very hard to do i was very conscious of my of my blueness as a child really longed for a father so all of that melancholy that was in his voice What'll I do when you are far away and I am blue? What You've talked about the harmony of a broken <laughs> heart, haven't you? About having its own musical harmony. Yeah. And it's definitely there in Nat King Cole. It's definitely there. The sophisticated sadness is there in his voice. I connected to it at a very early age. So I wanted to find out what is that what he was doing. And that's how I got into to jazz. Really fully exploring it comes about when you can really explore a, a musical library. I mean, there, there are stories of you going off to take classes um, and being involved with various people who said, you know, you've got a real talent. It's got to be, uh, you know, developed. Professor Kanu Kanyata? Kamau Kanyata, mm-hmm. Um, who was kind of completely taken and actually produced some of your early albums. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, when you started being accepted into that musical world, yeah. that very formal conservatoire world, which yeah. is, I think people sometimes find it odd to realise there is a big conservatoire world around jazz. Yeah. Was it odd for you? Did you feel like an imposter in there? Or did you accept that that was where you needed to be? No, well, I kept finding that, that 
real masters kept like kind of giving me attention like yeah man keep going keep mm -hmm. going yeah, there's something there there's you know they were like there was an urgency to the tap on their shoulder like yo wait a minute now because tone is something that you can't teach and so when I when I got around those people they were like keep going keep doing be encouraged there's something there how long did it take you to get to Nick's bar in Harlem where you you were performing there regularly weren't mm -hmm. you? That all happened organically. I kept going to this jam session, and before you know it, the leader of the, the jam session was like, you should take over Tuesday nights. You were, you weren't discovered because you'd been around, but Don Was comes in and sees you at Nick's bar in, in Harlem. Yeah. You're signed to Blue Note. It all happens by some people's standards quite late in yeah. your life. Was yeah. your first album not until you were? Yeah, I think I started the recording process at 38 or 39. Was it frustrating getting to that point? Or do you now look back at it and think that's a good thing, lateness? It's a good thing now that I look back at it, but it was frustrating from 25 to 35. So what were the jobs you were doing to, to keep body and soul together, if I can? Catering. <laughs> I had a small catering business, yeah. small weddings. I, I, I even tried to, to cater and sing at some of those weddings. Nightmares have happened. <laughs> Nightmares have happened. Didn't you once do a wedding and the only songs you knew were sad songs? Right. <laughs> and I was like, you know, <laughs> so I get on the microphone. What'll I do when you are far away and I am blue? What'll I do? I, wait a minute. Are they all breakup songs? Wait a minute, my book doesn't work. <laughs> I was just like, oh, a beautiful song, a beautiful melody, speaks of love of some kind. No. Yeah. Not even, not even really Nature Boy works at a wedding, you know what I mean? <laughs> get a repertoire. That's, right. the, that's the key. Get a, get a good, broad repertoire. No, I said, so when, so when I came up on this love songs, but even, even, they're writing songs of love, but, but not, not for, for me. me. Right. <laughs> even fly me to, fly me to the moon and let me play among the stars. You know, even melancholy is implied in, in, in the melody. So... Everything is not appropriate, even love songs. So you, you get together with Chip. So Chip is your pianist. He is. And you get together with his band, and now you're on the road, let's say, 200, 300 nights a year. Yeah, yeah. Do you like it? Well, once you get past 100 shows a year, yeah. you, you say, okay, I'm on a mission of some kind. You know, there's some songs that, I, that are for the audience's entertainment, and then there's some things that this is my song to try to change the world. And changing hearts, maybe. I think music can do that. Even the physical presence of myself and Chip on stage can knock down a whole lot of stereotypes. Let me tell you what Nat King Cole was doing while, while being Nat King Cole. A lot of stereotypes that they had about black men, slaying them obvious genius in his fingers and in his voice, eloquence and grace in his style and in his stance and in his speech. Still, they, they tried to gather, uh, gang up around him and tried to get him thrown out of his neighborhood, where, uh, uh, get thrown out of the house yeah, he, that he, he wanted purchased. He a house in Beverly Hills and the neighbors were not happy. In Hancock Park, yeah. Hancock neighbors Park, neighbors right. were not happy. There was a covenant at the time. This is, this is the West Coast. This is the land of freedom. This is California. 
yet there was a still a neighborhood covenant that you could not sell to a black person. But he bought that house uh, by way of a um, real estate broker. They didn't know who was moving in. Then one day, Nat comes out to collect the paper in front of his home that he purchased. And then they, and then they got together and said, no, we, need, we, we can't have this. We have to have him. So they offered to buy his house for more than it was worth. And he said, no, this is my house. It should be said that you wrote and performed a whole show about Nat King Cole, which was also a way of dealing with your relationship with your father. Yeah. And that show did pretty damn well, didn't it? It did, it did. It included getting your father to give you the apology he never gave you in life, didn't it? Absolutely. It was my brother playing my father in the play, giving me an apology. It was just a line until opening night. There's 800 people there, and he said, you know, I'm sorry. And And it was so real. And the audience was like, Incredible acting, the shaking, the tears. The, you weren't acting I, at all, I were said, you? I was not <laughs> acting at all. My brother became my father. The apology was real, and a weight was lifted off my shoulders. And even, you know, and that was some years ago, but I'm still finding ways to lift that, that weight or that burden or that pain from my chest from, from my, my father's relationship. So this song that I adopted, I Wonder Who My Daddy Is, I wonder who my daddy is. I wonder who. I wonder who he is. And the last lyric is, until I die. I, I won't get a chance to, to redeem the relationship. He's gone. But I'll wonder what could have been until I die. As well as the Nat King Cole show, you're also in Ain't Nothing But The Blues, which is a great piece which has run and run in many different guises. You were, very, you were on Broadway in that. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that's clear, you know, I, when I went to see you at the Royal Abbott Hall, there's an audience of, what do we say, five and a half thousand? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And let's be clear, you filled that, how many shows? Four, 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 shows, yeah. four shows. Four shows. You did look supremely comfortable on that stage. <laughs> at that point, do you respond to it as a professional? As in, I've got this? No. Or is it? No. I'm I'm going to tell you how I genuinely respond to it nightly. It's not false humility either. It's it's like, I'm surprised. I'm surprised. It's like, dang, y'all did it again. You filled this place again? And I come back to to, to being, to to genuinely being blown away by, by, yeah, the love. I really am. I'm assuming during the lockdowns and so forth is when you put together... Still Rising, which is a hell of a collection, mm-hmm. bunch of new songs at the front, which are classically yours. Mm-hmm. I am intrigued by the duets. I remember you recording the duet with Ella Fitzgerald, because uh, that was broadcast as part of the terrific series you did on The Voice for BBC Four. When you were doing those, because you did one with Julie London, you did one with Nat, Girl from Ipanema. Sometimes uh, years apart, yeah. Has it been at all difficult with the estates getting permission to do that? Or have they all gone, yes, Gregory Porter, you can do this? Yes, which was, that's why I felt so good about the Nat situation. And really all of them, because I'm like, this is, you know, Ella can't sanction me. When you're duetting with Ella or <laughs> Nat or Julie London, and they, they've got no say in what the hell you're going to do. They killed it already. So... 
Do you do you come on as a modern singer and just blast all over and start sweating all over their song? No. You match the tone, timbre, and intensity, uh, and the swing, and the flow. But you did more than that because you also harmonize. Mm. You're harmonizing with Ella. Right. Take it up a fifth, take it, drop it a third. Mm-hmm. How long did it take you to work out where that needed to go? Or does it, mm, does organic- it stick pretty quickly? In- yeah, organically. Does it, it feels, yeah, that feels right. Yeah, organically. Um, you're here at the moment for, you know, about a month and you'll be back because you're touring and you're off in Europe and all of that. Yeah. And are you able to take your young family on tour or mm-hmm. is that a bloody nightmare? <laughs> It's a bloody nightmare, but <laughs> it's what you got to do. We want this uh, prescription for our lives to be just, just perfect, and I realize it's not going to be perfect. It's, it's going to be what we try to make it. It's not good that I'm away for two, over 200 days a year, but I also know I'm building some legacy and some words and some foundation for my family, and I, that, that makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I'm doing, I don't want to compare myself to my father, but it does make me feel like I'm doing something that wasn't done for me. Well, I have to say, uh, if ever there was an out on an interview like this, that feels like one. Mm -hmm. So uh, there is still dessert to come, but I will say, Gregory Porter, thank you very much for letting me take you out to lunch. Um, Second time we've met, and it was as joyous as it was the first time. The conversation Uh, matches the food. This was beautiful food and this was a beautiful conversation. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Well, what an absolute joy that was. Thank you again to the wonderful Gregory Porter. He sang Modern Day Apprentice for us, which appears on his album All Rise, and his most recent album is called Still Rising. He'll be touring the UK next May and will be performing all over Europe and the US throughout the coming year. Uh, Do go to gregoryporter.com for all those dates. Thank you, too, to the Rosewood Hotel in London, which opened their scarf bar, especially for us, with food coming from their restaurant, the Hoban Dining Room. Special thanks to Chef Callum Franklin for that. Um, If you love the show, and how could you not, frankly, um, do please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts. And we would be dribblingly grateful if you could leave us a review and a star rating. Well, five. Give us five stars. Why not? On Apple Podcasts, if you can. It really does help others to find us. Out to Lunch is a Something Else and Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged, and performed by me, Jay Rayner, and Robert Rickenberg. The recording and mix engineer was Josh Gibbs. Assistant producers are Anya Das and Bethany Hocken. The producer is Selena Reem and the executive producer is Darby Doris. Next time, it's comedian Jimmy Carr. Did you do backing vocals in an Ed Sheeran track? <laughs> so it's like me and Kylie Minogue doing the backing vocals on this song. Great. Were you and Kylie in the same studio no, at no, the same no. time? No, no, no. No, no. Sadly. Sadly, she missed out on that. <laughs> Man. Man.